Hey everyone, this is Neil. Just before we start the podcast, we were using a new mixer and there were a few technical difficulties, so Jordan's audio is a little bit soft. Uh, apologies for that. It's still very listenable. Okay, enjoy the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast, the podcast where two comedians talk like experts on subjects they are not experts on. Today we're talking about drive and ambition. Get your Gary V on. Get you, what's that, who's that guy that runs all the time? David Goggins. Oh, yeah, Goggins, of course. That's it. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Uh, but just before the podcast started, Jordan was uh, telling me about microplastics and, and just how ubiquitous they now are in the atmosphere, even in the soil. So if you move out to the country, grow your own food, they're going to be in the soil. Yeah, not good enough. So th- th- there's no solution. We don't have a solution yet for them, do we? And I don't think that you will have a solution for it because it just, it's like, you know, uh, do you have a solution for something that is smaller than a microscopic organism? I suppose you've got antibiotics. Maybe they should, that's probably what's going to have to happen at some point. You just like how every YouTuber is selling endless supplement boosters. You're just going to have to accept that as part of being alive. It's no longer optional to have all these things. You're probably just going to have to have something that kills all the plastics in your body. And that will be the invention, I reckon, because you just can't take it out of the environment now. Yeah. I've, I've seen photos. Oh, I can't attest to how true this is because it was on the internet, but I've seen photos of uh, residue that they found in people's lungs, quite almost, you know, like a, a pinch of salt worth of microplastics nah. in people's lungs. Well, of course it would get in there, wouldn't it? I mean, we do breathe air. Then I saw another uh, meme saying, uh, you know, my granddad full of lead getting through life. Me full of microplastics getting through life. Every generation has their thing. <laughs> Toughen up, cunt. He's <laughs> <laughs> not wrong. It's a good uh, yeah, it's a good way to look at it, actually. <laughs> That's our thing. That's our lead. That's our That's World amazing. War II. And I was fine. Tiny little pieces of plastic. <laughs> I do really like this idea as well of like, Something that really like uh, you know screws with your genetics and just the general health of your body, and the response is to just toughen up. It's like I don't know if that's a mentality thing. <laughs> you know, it's always a mentality thing. It's well, a, it's never going to be this pod. Yeah, it's not a d- drive and ambition <laughs> mindset. You spit out death the is for the weak. Fucking just 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 eat more microplastics <laughs> to prove that you can get through. Have so much testosterone that even with a copious amounts of microplastics doesn't affect your sex drive. Yeah. Still a bodybuilder athletic uh, physique despite dying of uh, some kind of dysmorphic cancer. Now that's fucking manly. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, diet 40. The world's strongest cancer patient. Yeah, diet 40, but uh, leave, a, leave a jacked corpse. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I know, I know. That's what you got to do. It won't be beautiful. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, all right. Anyway. Well, uh, that's that's our advice for you this week. Yeah, yeah. You got microplastics in your body? You can't no avoid it. shit, Sook. Look, you, you, can, you can avoid the, the plastic wrapped food at Coles, but it's everywhere now. Yep. So. What are you going to do about the, it? Who, who cares now? <laughs> what's the point? It's, it is, it's, individuals can't fix this. I think this is up to governments, and I don't think they want to do anything. No, they're so, not doing anything. And it's too late anyway. And, I mean, well, the... At the very least, they can, over the next 10 years, like limit it to a certain amount in the atmosphere. 
but I can't even see them doing that. But anyway, <laughs> it's a depressing start. Let's uh, let's get on to our sponsors and then talk about uh, drive and ambition. So, if you come early, we've got the we've got the uh, we've got the website tip for you: steadyfreddy.com. They've got their patented delay spray. So if you suffer from premature ejaculation, if uh, if your significant other wants more of you and you want to give them more, go to steadyfreddy.com and uh, try their delay spray. Use the code Neil Jordan. You get 15% off. It was formulated by Dr. David Reiner. They've also got a huge range of male sexual health products. They've got ball boost tablets. So there you go. If you're full of microplastics, take some of these ball boost tablets and that'll improve your vitality and your testosterone. Uh, they've got condoms and uh, they've got wet wipes. They've got all sorts of things. So go to steadyfreddy.com. Use the code Neil Jordan. There's the one thing you can go and, well, come early to that website and using that code. Steadyfreddy.com, code Neil Jordan. We're also sponsored by Crush Organics. Crush Organics got a massive range of CBD oil products. I use the, the platinum oil. Every single night. I love it. Helps me sleep. Jordan uses it too. Yeah. Yeah. You still using it? Yeah, proudly. Hell yeah. It really does help. Yeah, it's very relaxing. It's very calming. So go to Crush Organics, use the code Neil, and you get 40% off if you use that code. So Crush Organics with a K. Uh, They've also got a huge range of products as well. They've got bath bombs. They've got pain creams. They've got gummies. So steadyfreddy.com, crushorganics.com. Neil Jordan, code for Steady Freddy. Neil, code for Crush Organics. Jordan's doing some shows all across Australia. Go to his website, friendlyjordies.com. I'm doing shows as well. Comedyuntamed.com, brand new website. Check yes. it out. We're working on it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to look even more schmick soon enough. But uh, we've got regular shows, weekly shows in Sydney, monthly in Western Sydney, Newcastle, Brisbane, and Melbourne. The Brisbane one, uh, it's the first one happening June 19th at the Sit Down Comedy Club. I love that club. So mm. come along to that. Mm. And if you want to send in a question or a topic or a shout-out, neilcolhatka.com slash podcasts, and all the money from those subscriptions goes straight to charity. All right. Drive and ambition. You got a lot of drive. Yes, I do. You got a lot. You got a lot of drive. Yeah. You got. You got, you got big goals. Mm-hmm. The next, I, you wouldn't be the next Murdoch or the next. We could say the next Elon Musk now. You can. Is he? He's a. He's a bit of a pseudo Murdoch in America now. I mean, yes, he doesn't have a monopoly, but uh, what you get with Twitter is uh, that's where all the elite discourse does happen and where a lot of ideas are spawned. So uh, now that he has control over that, he, I, I think what he's, what he's motioning for is uh, he's, he's saying all sorts of things that are just feeding the, the conservative culture war base. So he's saying we need free speech. He's dunking on AOC. He's sharing memes about... Uh, how the left is getting further and further left and people in the centre and then becoming right wing. And I think in 2022, America's poised for a, a huge uh, Republican whitewash in the in the House. And I'm not sure about the Senate, but then likely a, a presidential candidate in 2024, will um, a Republican will win. It's pretty likely. I can't see any Democrat winning. And he's positioning himself as uh, a supporter of the of the right at least culturally and i think he can then win a lot of favors with a with a republican controlled congress and a republican executive branch and 
that will help his uh, many businesses, that will help him get to Mars, it will help his probably his tax position with Tesla. I think really that's what he's Fucking hell, for. you think that's the long game? I think it is, yeah. Wow. What else would it be? I don't know because I've been scratching actually, my head. Because he, well, everyone, yeah, sure, maybe it is just the free speech thing, but what, that's like one third of his wealth, man. Like that's that's a lot. It's not smart financial investment. Twitter doesn't make much money at all. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was just like, what? what is the point of this? Is he actually become insane? Has he become eccentric? No. And then I guess the other thing was, okay, well, it's one of the biggest stories of this year. Maybe the publicity is worth it. I'm not sure, but that makes way more sense. That's my that's my theory. Uh, you, you can play around with Twitter and, you know, saying free speech, free speech, you might have, could have a, all sorts of tabs. They've already got that trending tab and, and whatnot, which... Let's be honest, is there a perfect algorithm that puts whatever is truly trending on there? No, I'm sure they manipulate that to a certain degree, and I'm sure he could do some backroom deals and say, like, hey, this this congressman I like, uh, I'm going to I'm gonna um, put your tweets, uh, give them an advantage or something like that mm. in exchange for X, Y, Z in this particular state. I mean, look, maybe he just really loved, wants more free speech. I don't know, but I, I doubt it. I think, well, it's probably a combination of both. Uh, I think he doesn't like the, the 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 culture of speech on Twitter because it's a very cynical, negative place. I'm so much happier that I deleted it. Occasionally, mm. I'll look back on there and I was looking at a few of his responses after the uh, uh, decision, and oh my gosh, it's so just negative, mm. negative. Mm. I felt gross. Yes, just reading that. Although I can see it's very addictive. It's mm. it's like it's 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 intellectual nicotine. Yes, that's what it is. It's it's yeah. yeah you, you you're just waiting to see something you agree with so that you can retweet it. Uh, so yeah, look, I'm sure he actually does want to improve the culture on Twitter. I don't know how much he can actually do about that, and uh, but he's just saying the sort of things that are going to rile up the um, right side of the culture wall. He's just saying all the right. I mean, dunking on AOC. What more can you do? Mm. Mm. Free, but always talking well, what about do you say about speech. it. He's, he's, Oh, yeah, it was quite funny, actually. So she, a couple of months ago, had said, uh, all these Republicans are weirdly obsessed with me because some had taken some photos of her in Florida saying, like, hey, look, she's escaping to Florida to for lower taxes. And then she was saying, oh, they're all, they all secretly want to date me or something. And uh, she got a lot of uh, pushback on that, saying, oh, you know, what, anyone who criticizes you wants to date you or something. And then so she was criticizing him in a tweet and, he said, uh, oh, look, don't hit on me so strong. I'm a bit shy or something like that. <laughs> pretty good call. <laughs> so props to him there. He's very entertaining and funny on Twitter. Mm. I do occasionally just look back on that. There's only so much I can see on it because I don't actually have an account, but he's very funny. And it does make me think, all right, this is the richest, whether he's, it's either him or Bezos, one of the richest men in the world, and he has time to dunk on people on Twitter and share memes. I mean, you can't get mad at at, a, at an eighteen year old then for being online and sharing memes because that is they are copying the success. behavior of one of the yes. most successful people yeah. in the world. So let's uh, then talk about a bit of drive and ambition. You know what I think I've realized? I think it's a, you can you can instill good habits into people. You can teach people uh, various behaviors and and norms that will uh, help them become successful or at least find meaning in their life. But something that's very hard to teach 
or to instill into someone is drive and ambition. That is yes. something that is seems to evolve naturally due to a confluence of factors within someone's life. It may be genetic as well, um, but I I, I do re- I I think I'm. It's it's very hard to to like give that to someone else. You can say, "Hey, do this, do that." I want you to be. I want you to be assertive. I want you to be passionate about this. I want you to be hungry and to hustle and whatever you want to call it. But even then, you're you're still directing someone in that way. You're managing them. You're leading them. When I think real drive and ambition is the person who's enterprising and does that themselves and more and goes beyond what is being asked of them. Mm. So, have you? had any ob- similar observations i mean you're a very very ambitious man i think i think i am too i think a lot of people in uh in our world uh they're driven and they're hungry and they're ambitious and whether that's a result of the environment we're in and that we've had to sort of hustle a lot more than other people in our industry or whether it's just something intrinsic to us i'm not sure it's, um, it's likely a combination of both but uh, what are your thoughts on uh, on drive and ambition? Well, I'll tell you what. Tony Robbins had the really astute point, as always, because he's always his, his entire life is trying to figure out people's motivations. And he said that the one thing that he has noticed with everyone across every field who becomes elite in their field is always hunger, which is what you're talking about. There is hunger there. Now... The question is, what is driving the hunger? And he thinks the answer is that if you are dissatisfied, you are going to figure out a solution to that problem in life. If you are a satisfied person, where's the motivation? If you're thinking in your life, everything's fine or good enough or I'm satisfied. In fact... This is one thing that I always notice is going to be somebody who is going to have a fairly unremarkable life. Unremarkable is not the right word. Their life is going to be very balanced, but they're not going to truly excel in anything. And if that, that is if their primary motivation in life is comfort. If they're looking for comfort, it doesn't take that much. What do you need? A couch, electricity, enough money for the heater to be on. These are all fairly attainable goals in the 21st century in Australia. You know? You'd hope so. You would hope so. Right now. (laughs) Yeah. We'll see. (laughs) See how badly inflation hits. Yes. At some point, maybe. Um, So really, the only thing that... Just mm. jump in there... (laughs) <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna cringe at me saying this book subtle art of not giving a fuck. Uh-huh. Right? There was a point in there where he talked about in this culture where we're trying to alleviate all forms of negative emotion, anxiety, insecurity, etc. This is not actually entirely good because you actually need a little bit of those negative emotions to propel you forward. In order to, especially if you're an entrepreneurial type, you need to be dissatisfied. You need to have some form of insecurity or anxiety in relation to something that you can then fix within given parameters. Mm. So if you are experiencing some degree of negative emotions, it can actually be a good thing. You want a balance of both. If you're constantly experiencing negative emotions, it will just suffocate you and your entire sense of self and self-worth will just dissipate but if you have that sort of middle ground of like some form of suffering but also you know the the talent and the drive that comes from the the knowledge that you can 
most likely alleviate that suffering by bettering yourself. That is actually the perfect combination. Oh, yeah, that that's what you strive for in life for sure. Problem is though, I think that what happens is most people just hang around their social circle and I'm no different. Uh, they hang around their social circle and so there's never any incentive to go any further than that. It's sort of like how there was a survey done, God, it must have been 15 years ago, but they were saying the most unhappy place in America is Orange County. So essentially the richest people on earth are the most dissatisfied and unhappy. And it's because they're constantly comparing themselves to, it's actually Jordan Peterson's point where he was saying that he had a client once who was saying that I'm a failure in life. And he was saying, what are you talking about? You make $50 million a year. And he's like, yeah, but it's just like all my other college mates have surpassed me. It's like, well, who's your college mates? And he said, Elon Musk. Elon Musk was one of them. And so he obviously feels like a failure earning $50 million a year. He's but not, you not do- dunking on AOC. Yeah, he's not dunking on AOC. He doesn't have, I can buy one of the few global platforms on earth on essentially a whim. On essentially the fact that you were pissed off that one of your tweets was meddled with. And I'm likely to be one of the first people to... Oh, he's not going to be going to Mars, but... Uh, He'll land one. He he will uh, instigate the first human on Mars. From what I've heard, as a lot of it, particularly with Tesla at the beginning, it was not a, a, a sort of financially viable company, but he got so many people to invest because he was a salesman and he got enough people to believe in his vision and there's a fine line between a visionary and a madman mm. and a psychopath. I was watching, have you seen that Fire Festival documentary? Mm. My God, I've never been so triggered in my life. Like, I, I hate people like that, that. What are you talking about? That talk uh, about their vision and have these grand plans and get you on board and just do not execute. All right. And just cannot <laughs> that are basically, people that are all talk with no action. Yeah, so essentially everyone in media. <laughs> Every manager ever. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah everyone. So, uh, that was a, it was a great documentary. I was hooked the entire time, and mm. you know it's hard to feel that much sympathy for these rich kids who wanted to see Good Charlotte or whatever. No, it was Blink One Eighty Two or whatever yeah. on a fucking to island. To relive the their nostalgia. Yeah, all right. You you kind of reap what you sow there. Yeah. But that guy, and then hearing from all his subordinates that uh, were constantly told, "Fix this, fix this." Here's a, you fix this, you fix this. While he was jetting off and just um you know, sucking billionaires' dicks for, for more capital and he's hardly being held accountable. I think he's going I think he's going to jail for a small amount of time. I'm not sure. But And uh, I'm not even sure if it was related to Fire Festival, was it? It might yeah. have been. I can't remember. And then the fact that his business partner was Ja Rule. Amazing. What? Amazing. Why? Yeah, Does why? that man really strike you as someone with a high degree of business acumen? Yeah, he always seemed like Not really. a poor man's 50 cent and 50 cent went bankrupt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that says a lot. So uh, that's a, that's an example of someone who I would assume that man has the same uh, salesman, sort of uh, sales talent as an Elon Musk. The difference is Elon Musk could actually deliver and execute. Well, here's the other thing. I, he, obviously, this is something else that I think really helps with motivation in life. You can, I know I've said this a million times before, but you cannot make it monetary. If you make it monetary, you end up like the fire Festival guy because if the end goal is money, that's the way that you get money. You scam people, you cut costs, 
uh, you don't deliver your promise and you run away with a huge sack of cash. Yeah. That's how you win. But Elon Musk has set up the game where it's like, I'm going to push humanity forward. I'm going to, uh, you know, revolutionize the transport industry, you know? I, I heard a podcast with him on um, Lex Friedman and, and he talked about money a lot, but he didn't talk about it in a way where that seemed to be his end goal. It seemed to be a means to an end. So you have to be very conscious of money because there are a lot of people who may not be looking to attain as much wealth as possible, but they have no respect for money. And as a result, they also completely fuck up their business model mm. because they just have no financial acumen and completely overblow their budget or, or whatever idiotic financial decision they make. And, and you need a, a bit of both because if, if you are a visionary and you do have these grand plans, often that is going to need a, a, a huge investment or just initial capital or people who are going to believe in that. But uh, you need to also show that you're capable of doing the, the, you know, the nitty-gritty, the basics, the, the managerial work. Well, yeah, that's true. But I think that you can definitely bend the rules if you are saying to people that are well-intentioned, here, we are going to create cars that create zero emissions as opposed to, you know, we're on Wall Street and we're going to make as much money as possible because as soon as the money dries up, they're going to leave. But if you are making a car that is net zero, people will volunteer their time. They will work overtime for that. You will be bending rules, monetary rules, to get to that goal. You'd probably find a bunch of, you know, angel investors in the last minute. If you're like, we've run out of money, they'll be like, here you go. Here's fucking 10 million because they just believe in the cause. That's how he set himself up, for sure. And... This is the other thing that you've got to say. You have to give him praise for this because we pointed out there are a lot of billionaires out there that do nothing except for suck off the teat of the taxpayer. I know people say that Elon Musk suckled off the teat of the taxpayer, but yes, as he's saying, the point of somebody who controls capital like a billionaire these days is to sort of, because the system's so broken, to direct that capital privately into the things that they need government to do but is just essentially crippled now. And it's much, much worse than Elon Musk in doing that. Uh, he, I think that this is the whole thing, is like he grew up rich, could have a really, really easy life if he wanted to, but he chose extremely ambitious goals. And if you choose extremely ambitious goals and they're not getting fulfilled, that is going to create a huge amount of dissatisfaction, which, to has read her, uh, his biography, said the same thing. He's a very dissatisfied man. He's, He's a very sorry. demanding man. Elon Musk. He's an extremely demanding man who's constantly yelling for the scientists that work for him to raise their standards, and yet the turnover rate is still extremely low, despite there being... These are people that could be getting much better jobs across the planet. They're extremely intelligent people that work for Elon Musk. But they cop with essentially office abuse and lower pay because of the vision. Wow. Yeah. It says a lot. And so they are putting on themselves a more dissatisfied life because of how big the vision is. So really, like, there's two driving factors there, really. It's like, okay, if you are dissatisfied, you're probably going to be successful in life. As long as you said that you can avoid that pitfall of 
not allowing the dissatisfaction to crush you, and I don't which know, means, yeah. There's a lot of dissatisfied people that are not doing much about it. Or what are they dissatisfied really about? They're usually okay. dissatisfied about their emotional state in the moment. You think so? Don't you think the, yeah. the, the thing that plagues our generation, the get-out-of-jail-free card that just, you know, it definitely trumps racism, sexism, all those things. If you accuse someone of being a racist or a sexist, this is the classic Triple J cycle, right? Some band gets accused of one of those things. Uh-huh. They stay out of the limelight for a couple of months. They come back and say, oh, sorry, it's just we've been going through some heavy mental health issues. And then they're welcomed back into the fold. It's you get out of jail free card. I have mental health issues. Now, obviously, yes, yeah, I know, I'm sick, so sick of this qualified. Yes, some people do have mental health issues. It is nowhere near as prevalent as what our culture is encouraging. And so it's really just focusing people on I'm dissatisfied with the fact that I don't feel like I'm riding on a roller coaster right now. I think that that's where dissatisfaction is. Aimed. And if you have a grander vision, say, I'm going to transform the electric grid, that's where your dissatisfaction is aimed. If you're just like, oh, I'm dissatisfied, I feel sad at the moment. Oh, okay, I know how I can stop feeling sad. I'll watch Netflix. That'll numb the pain. That's what happens. So dissatisfaction isn't enough, but a, a vision in dissatisfaction definitely helps. I know quite a few people who are very driven and ambitious and they work extraordinarily hard and it's quite sad, actually. They're not showing results. And I do think sometimes this sort of sentiment, if you, if you have a vision and if you work hard enough, you will get there. It's easy for us to say, and it's easy for... This is the classic podcaster conversation. Everyone kind of says this on almost any... Particularly any uh, self-help-aligned podcast that you listen to. But for a lot of people, they may not have the... Uh, it's sad, but they may not have the natural intellectual ability to pull to to coordinate that vision and 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 pull it off in an effective way. And Can you give examples? You don't have to give names. Uh, well, I make it too specific. It'll, it'll, yeah, yeah, they might be listening to this. Like, yeah, I don't yeah, want to yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I said. It's kind of sad, man. It's like, and I know there's always those stories of people who were. In a, in a world of pain for 10, sometimes 20 years, and then it finally paid off. But there's a lot more failure stories than there are success stories. But because those success stories have a disproportionate voice, uh, it, it sort of does sometimes seem that uh, success is far more prevalent in, in that sort of a world than, than you would otherwise believe. And, and in a country like America, which is all about the – they obsess over the celebrities and the making it and being successful, and that's the whole like that's a big part of the American ethos. They've found that uh, people who aren't obtaining enough financially to uh, just for basic subsistence, really, and 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 to provide for their family, are less likely to seek help or to uh, even uh, try and apply for government benefits because of that culture, because they internalize it and think it's their fault. Now, the downside to that is you can then have a culture that is, well, entitled or uh, people uh, might not be working to the best of their abilities and we may not be able to harness and manifest the, 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 the true potential and gifts of every individual on a mass scale. So it's a fine balance there because I guess what I'm 
really trying to get at with this conversation is not necessarily okay everyone who's dissatisfied if they just have a if they just have a, a goal and a purpose beyond themselves they can then be successful and be an entrepreneur but is there a way to instill drive and ambition into people who otherwise don't have it or or to just increase the the hunger within people because i think there's even well, there's biological factors involved in that as well. I think definitely. Yeah, if you, definitely. Like, if you if you're just physically fit and active, and if you're a man and you've got a healthy level of testosterone, you are going to be more ambitious. That's that's been proven. The higher testosterone you have, you actually are more willing to take on pain, and you you it, you sort of don't think you enjoy it, but like you're compelled to push yourself. Mm. Uh, so there's there is actually biological factors at play there. There's environmental factors. There's cultural factors. There's a lot of things. But uh, I just wonder, uh, clearly like a very a very creative person who can get people on board with an ambitious vision can instill ambition into other people. But uh, on a more micro scale, I suppose, how can you, do you have any ideas about how you can... Uh, Let's say you've got a friend or you've, you've got a family member who la- is lacking drive, is lacking hunger, and they maybe don't perceive it as a problem or they're maybe just not aware or maybe they're just put off by that. I mean, there, there's a lot of cringy hustle culture, a lot of cringy hustle culture out there, mm. let's be honest. Mm. And, uh, you know, I've made fun of that with Charles D. But uh, at the end of the day, that mentality is, is better than a mentality of laziness. Mm. Or you know, just satisfaction with a bare minimum. Uh, you should always be trying to push yourself further and not trying and, and and avoiding atrophy. So, how do you give that to people? How do you? I'm telling you, the one that you pointed out: <coughs> culture and environment. Culture and environment. If you change that person's culture and environment, they will become more ambitious. I know this because people that hang out with me. Uh, because I hold myself to a higher standard than their current social circle, which hang around bars their entire life, those people start taking on some of the habits that I've installed into myself. They don't fully take them on because I'm just one influence. But if you... the, the, The... Really good example of that, obviously, is if you are in the SAS or you are a Marine, you are getting up at 4 a.m. every day and you're doing push-ups immediately, right? That is not what the average person does. I love that. Yeah. I've heard they they drink uh, a shot of whiskey and black coffee to wake up. Oh, Jesus but I mean, be, look, once you get used to that, that would be, you'd feel like you're this kind of wolf pack. It's what they are, basically. Yeah. They're just this well-drilled, disciplined tribe of of just warriors that wake up at the crack of dawn, before the crack of dawn, knowing they're like the most elite of the elite. So they already have that confidence and they having this little magic potion in the morning and they're, and they're just... Fuck yeah, I'm awake. Let's fucking go. Like that's 
when you're in that environment, you'd be influenced to, to act like that. Yeah, and the, and the, definitely. The, the problem is there'd be there'd be stragglers. I'm sure. I don't know. Within a, in a in an environment like that, where everyone is already at an elite level, but uh, when you look at just basic, you, you just your average work environment or your average social circle, there are some people who are at the the bottom rung, if you will, and that disincentivizes them to push themselves because they already feel so low and their self esteem has been hindered by that. Uh, do you, do you see that? Have you observed anything like that? Oh yeah, massively. You know, the, 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 it's sad, but like the, uh, maybe the least gifted children in school are the ones that are most likely to rebel and be truants because, well, if they're going to come last anyway, mm. or if they're going to have to put in 10 times as more work to even get to a basic average standard, mm. That's it's not an insurmountable mountain to climb, but it's a very discouraging mountain compared to everyone else. But see, this is the whole thing. When you're talking about people like that and they say, oh, yeah, it's good, it's just like hard work, is it? Well, do you actually work hard? I don't think that somebody who is reading in their field for 20 years is not going to learn a thing or two that the average person doesn't know about that field. They're obviously going to be at the top of it, just in terms of their knowledge base, just in terms of the tools available in their mind to navigate that situation. They're going to have that. When it comes to people that are at the bottom rung, that are truanting out of school, they're going to have something that they're good at. Always. Always. Always always going to be something. There can be people out there that... Maybe not. Oh, you're talking about the level of intelligence where they can't even really comprehend what we're saying? No. Yeah, those people are severely disabled. But if you're talking about somebody who's... <laughs> Sorry, just <laughs> the way you said that was... was <laughs> fuck, that was, that was brutal. <laughs> oh, all right, go on. Obviously, right? Like, yeah, yeah okay. okay. Somebody with an IQ of 60 is not going to be in a position where they can organise a hostile takeover of Twitter. It's not going to happen, right? Yeah. <laughs> They're not even going to be able to use Twitter. Yeah. They won't be able to do it. So we're not talking about those people. Obviously, those are huge outliers. But if, you do, if you're talking about the general population, they're going to be acute enough to know a lot about something. I'll give you a good example. I met a guy the other day at one of my shows who had brain damage. They had brain damage from playing footy. They played footy at almost an elite level did that thing where they got knocked out too much, oh. oxygen was cut off to their brain for too long, and now they've got that, there you go, mate, voice, right? That guy, if you ask him about the politics of the fucking Tigers, he's going to know everything. He's going to know the history of the team back to 100 years. It's because that's his interest. But the man can barely get a sentence out unless he's talking about footy. Your brain wires up. And so once it's in there, it's in there. So it, there, I really don't think that there is this excuse of, um, you know, some people just, you know, don't have the intelligence or, or they, 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 don't, they don't have the advantages in life. All of these factors have been outstripped numerous times throughout history. There's going to be people... Brian Tracy always gives a really good example of somebody who actually was uh, mentally disabled. And became a millionaire off of a very, very simple business that they came up with. 
If somebody who is mentally handicapped can become a millionaire, I really don't think there is an excuse of these people are disadvantaged. Unless you're getting to the point where you can't speak, then you're starting to get disadvantaged. We'll come back to what you said earlier about uh, culture and environment and environment specifically as well. I remember I've, I've said this a few times on this podcast. I spent a week with you. When was it? Five years ago. Mm. And you were far more disciplined and organized and conscientious than I was at that time, mm. without a doubt. But it was a real kick in the, in the guts. I needed that, but it was uncomfortable at the time to, to sort of toy with those ideas. My, my, I'm sure my ego was playing tricks on me and saying, oh, well, he's fucking doing political videos, so it doesn't matter, you're doing comedy. Or there was those sorts of thoughts that were uh, flying around. Mm. But uh, I think I distinctly remember thinking, well, I gotta, if this is someone I'm not competing with, but this is someone in the same field of a similar level. I can't let him be working that much harder than me. Right. And that was that was just one week in that environment. And it, it changes because it you changed. get a glimpse into exactly. how other people are behaving. Yes. That's the whole point. That's what I'm saying. If you change your social circle, your life is going to change. And we're talking and about motivation. We're going to be talking about habits. We're going to be yeah. talking about beliefs. All of that is going to change. And it will be uncomfortable for a... a a short, even medium period of time. Because if you're so used to being comfortable among your usual social circle, then being around maybe more high-achieving or more, you know, people who are not just... I mean, let's not just talk about business achievement here. We can talk about people who are uh, uh, heavily influenced by by family and are, uh, you know, much more committed to other goals in life. If if you're going to be hanging around that social circle, you're going to feel insecure. You're going to feel bad. You're going to feel judged, but that no one's no one's explicitly judging you. That's yeah. you trying to protect your sense of self, and you yeah. have to be humble in that situation and yeah. say, "All right, for at least the, maybe even a year or two, I have to put up with that discomfort because in the long term, it's ultimately going to help me." Man, that's actually a really good observation. There's something that always rings in my head whenever I'm in those situations, which is Tony Robbins' story of when he first started to golf. And obviously he was with people that have won PGAs. And so they were just holding one every time. Yeah. And he could feel himself getting pissed off and inadequate. And, and that thing justifying in his head of saying like, yeah, well, there wasn't a gust of wind when he was putting and all this stuff. And then he just had to remind himself, these are elites that have been doing this since birth. They're going to be good at golf. And the fact that I'm even amongst that group is a huge honor. And they are not expecting that we're going to be playing golf at the same level. Absolutely. They're actually yeah. there. Yeah. They were there to help him with some tips about how to golf. So he had to remind himself there that they were more than happy to help out. Yeah, I remember uh, 18, 19, I was doing a bit of training with uh, two guys that were trying to make the NRL. and. Just, first of all, naturally much bigger guys. They were forwards and far more advanced in their training regimen in, in this sense that they had been lifting f since they were 13, 14. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't nice at all. But uh, if yeah. I hadn't done that, 
then uh, now I I have sometimes invited a few other comedians to train with me and they're just constantly talking about, man, like, oh, how'd you get to that point? How do you do that? How'd you get to that point? And, like, genetically they have far more gifts than I do. Mm. If they trained uh, intensely for a year or two, they'd probably easily lift more weight than, than I do, probably do more in anything, but they just haven't put in the, the discipline and they're not committed to it. No. And not everyone. Look, working out is not for everyone. And uh, by the way, one of those guys actually made his NRL debut a few weeks ago, so shout out, Billy Sapekas. There they go. Yeah, good, good. It's Sick. because half the Bulldogs team got COVID. So <laughs> he got a run. He's not even in their top 30. He's on like a train and trial. I think he's on some weird deal. And then he played another game last weekend. Wow. Yeah, 29 tackles, zero missed. He did do a hip drop and uh, got like one week suspension. But, uh, you know, he's uh, considering he's 26, I think. You know, he was a teacher and it was looking like, all right, probably won't make the NRL, but he got there. So wow. good on him. Wow, yeah. wow, wow. Yeah. And now that there's a new team coming in next year, um, you know, that'll spread the talent out a lot. So fingers crossed he gets a contract. What's but the team? The Dol- the Redcliffe Dolphins. Where I is Redcliffe? Queensland. Yeah, somewhere north of Brisbane. It's I don't know if it's in Brisbane or it's someone say in the comments where Redcliffe is. But uh, they've got a good financial structure. I think they've got a good sort of they they've got a feeder team uh, in the Queensland Cup, and that's been performing well. So I think that's why they won the bid. I don't know. I think they want to split the fan base up in Brisbane and they're already, they're not really, uh, haven't attracted a marquee player. But speaking of NRL, there's a team in the, anyone who watches the NRL will know there's a team, the Melbourne Storm, who consistently outperform every other team, maybe the Roosters, but even then, over the last, we're talking like nearly two decades, they have almost, they've never missed the top eight except for the one year they were found to be rotting the salary cap. And <laughs> they've uh, made the preliminary final for something like seven years in a row. Yeah. And I've heard a lot of stories where, uh, you know, the, the guy basically runs it like it's a, some kind of army camp and the recruits there, he says, no, nah, before you start training and work on a job site for a couple of weeks, there's this guy, Xavier Coates, who uh, I, there's someone who's part of this, he's like good friends with like some of the higher ups in the storm. And he was telling me, so Xavier was playing at the Broncos and he was already, I'm pretty sure, an origin player, young guy. And he, I think he purposefully spoke to Bellamy trying to get to the storm. Apparently, he got there a couple of weeks early, knocked on Craig Bellamy's doors like, look, I'm, I'm here early. Tell me what I, you need me to do. I'll do it. Because Craig Bellamy command, he's got this massive status and presence about him. So... That's the other thing. When you develop that kind of status and presence, people are more likely to yield to whatever it is that you have to say, even if it is painful and arduous. And uh, first, I think the coach said, no, not yet. And then I think he came another day or two or a week later and then coach said something like, hey, I want you to mow the lawn at this these, this like series of fields somewhere out in bumfuck nowhere. And it took him... I can't remember. It was a long time. And like... This was in the summer, in the off-season, you know, steaming hot sun. He's just mowing lawn for, like, I think weeks. Where? There's a lot of lawn Where? to mow. Um, and, yeah, now he's, like, getting hat-tricks every week already. Like, it's just that. Like, it's it's crazy how whatever the system they have there, I'd really love to interview someone from the Storm one day because whatever system they've got there, 
clearly they instill a hell of a lot of drive, a hell of a lot of ambition and consistency and discipline. And I know a lot of people think, oh, it's, it's footy, like who can No, like this is sport and, and team sport is where you can learn a hell of a lot of discipline. So if anyone, you know, if there's any players listening that have been in that system, my God, tell us, tell us in the comments what exactly goes on there because something interesting. does. Yeah. Definitely. I would love to know that. Reminds me of Dragon Ball. You know, the precursor to Dragon Ball Z. What? When Goku was no? a kid. I don't know. It's that. way better than Dragon Ball Z. Way better. All right. That's a big call. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Dragon Ball Z, but there was just something more adventurous and innocent and funny and also at points darker and more dire than Dragon Ball Z. I think it was just because <laughs> how do you span powering up over 500 episodes? It worked better as a 100-episode contingency, but... That was when you first learn, uh, met Master Roshi, and that's when Goku and Krillin needed to learn from him. And that was exactly the same thing. Wow. Exactly the same thing. They were just like, I'm not even going to teach you martial arts until you work on this construction site. Yeah. There's a lot of stories like that. And yeah. We, you know what? The karate kid, even that. Joe, go clean this house for a while. Oh, really? Isn't that? Yeah. I've never watched it. Yeah, he, he tells him to clean his house, but uh, he tells him to clean it in a certain with a certain technique. And then right at the end, when the kid's frustrated, like, why'd you make me do that? The guy oh, that's goes right. to wax punch on. him. And he's like, yeah, wax on. And then it's actually a block. So, Oh, okay. See, the thing is, with all of those cases, though, that person obviously has massive drive. And I think really what you're doing there is testing to see is this person going to do everything I say they should do? It's like anybody who takes up a McDonald's franchise, it's always illiterate farmers that do the best when they take up a McDonald's franchise because they actually listen to what the franchisor is saying. So they'll, they'll actually read the manual and do what the manual says, whereas people with MBAs think, no, no, that's inefficient. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And so they're not copying exactly what McDonald's does and they're less successful as a result. And that's probably what's happening when he's saying, go mow all these lawns. He's testing to see if the person will actually do it or if they're just going to go, nah, fuck this and go home. I'd also imagine there's a sense of uh, humility that comes with that. You get a sense of perspective. and Yeah, yeah. how small is your ego? Exactly. The story of, uh, what's the name, James Packer. No, Kerry Packer. When James Packer graduated high school, he said, no, he's not going to university. And he sent him to a shearing shed. For two years. Oh, really? Now, that guy was going to be a millionaire regardless. Sure. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, he said something like, oh, what's he going to learn at university? How to smoke marijuana. Mm. <laughs> mm. Mm. <laughs> Such a like, Aussie businessman thing to say. Isn't it? We sure Gina Reinhardt dropped out of uni as well. I mean, the, these are people who already inherited a large fortune. But there's a lot of stories of people who had a large fortune and because they grew up in, in wealthy circumstances, didn't have any hunger or drive in, in order to try and build it. They just spent it all and were probably depressed like the people in Orange County. So mm. something to be said there. It definitely is. I'll tell you what. It's definitely the killer of motivation. The killer of motivation is comfort. Absolutely. It's something that I'm so angry about. It's such a paradox in that the more successful you become, 
the less hungry you are. And I know that there's psychological tricks to get you to some level of hunger, but I know this, I will never be as hardworking as I was when I was on the dole and had nothing and used to skip meals because I couldn't afford them in the pursuit of becoming a comedian. Yeah. It was just endless. Like it was, it was maybe it's also a youth thing. I don't think it is though. I honestly think it's just if you have the money to go to the store and think, yeah, I'll get some gum instantly. Like if, if you have the mentality of when you walk into a store, you're like, I do not have the money to get one of those chocolate bars at the front counter. I can't even get that. Well, there's two things happening there, right? Like first off, you literally are hungry. But the second one is uh, like comfort isn't an option. There is no comfort. If comfort's an option, you're like, you want to sit on that cushy lounge there or do you want to sit on the floor? I'll, I'll sit on the couch. Mm, mm. And yeah, it's Can't, just, I don't know yeah. how to get out of it. Yeah. Well, I know what you mean. I, I remember before I uh, developed an audience online, that was probably when I, whether it is when I worked the hardest, I definitely had the most laser-focused vision. Laser focus vision. Just blinkers were off, um, on, off, whatever the saying is. How do I get there? Yes. Yeah. Nothing else mattered. And I remember talking to Elias about this. I think there was elements of luck insofar as my environment wasn't giving me any alternatives that were comforting or enjoyable in that sense. Like most people around that age, late teens, we're enjoying a lot of the parties and the socialization and things like that. I hated it all. And that's not, I'm not trying to badmouth any of the people I grew up with or anything <coughs> like that. I was just, well, it was a combination of insecure and, and I was late to the party on a lot of things and kind of had this facade about me that, oh, he gets drunk really quickly, ha, ha, ha. And then people just kind of made fun of me in a jovial way. It, was, it wasn't any sort of malicious bullying. So I didn't like it. I'd, it's not like Got nothing out of it. Yeah, I didn't feel like I was missing out on it. The opportunity cost wasn't particularly huge there. Whereas I True. think a lot of people, um, they they enjoy their leisure time, if you will. Like they yeah. enjoy those sorts of things that the, the a lot of people would partake in on the weekend or you know, and then day off or whatever it may be. And as a result, it's a lot harder for them to uh, forego that and to focus in on the on the work, which isn't fun at all. Work and achievement isn't is not fun. It's 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 discipline. It's what's Mike Tyson say? Discipline is doing the things you hate repetitively. Something like that. I don't know. He's absolutely he's, right. He's, he's absolutely right, though. Yeah, he's absolutely right. Uh, Peter Drucker's one is discipline is doing the things you. Discipline is doing the things that other people won't do. Whether you like it or not, I think is the phrase. The other classic one, what is it? Uh, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Mm. Man, that is true. Oh, it kills me to see talented. It, it, in our industry, I'm not, not going to name names, but talented people who couldn't get their head screwed on. And the thing, even with our industry, you don't even have to work that hard. No, not really. You don't. You don't. It's the arts. And it's influencer territory. How much hard work do influencers do? I'm sure some do quite a lot, but... Wouldn't be the norm. No, not at all. So when you see someone who has potential and they just... They're not, they're not 
realizing that it's frustrating. It's hard to see. I keep coming back to sport because sport is just such a perfect um, sort of microcosm of these ideals. Someone oh. like Nick Kyrgios, for example. Now he's funny, and I'm sure it, like I've I've got friends that like uh, are friends with him, and he's parties hard, and it's a great time to be around by all accounts. So I'm not bad mouthing him by any accounts, but uh, that it, he is probably the, has the most raw talent in terms of tennis that maybe we've ever seen, but hasn't realized it. The fact that he just doesn't even have a coach and still makes like quarterfinals of Grand Slams is like it's unheard of. Mm. No one, like no one in the top one hundred doesn't have a coach. Mm. I think he doesn't have a coach. Last I heard, he doesn't have one. And you know, in interviews, it's like, what did you do like yesterday to prepare? Or well, play PlayStation? It's it's funny. Like, don't get me wrong. And maybe I'm projecting like my worldview onto him, and and he's probably living a very fun life. But it's just. When you see people like that who are not realizing their potential, it it ah it hurts. Oh, it definitely does. I think it's doubly pronged in our industry as well because look, a lot of the time when you are a good artist, this is an excuse by the way, but a lot of it comes from life experiences and also being extremely present both of which are the exact opposite of being successful. This yes. is the problem. When it comes that to creativity. The with creative fields. With creative fields. Because you can't out-discipline the creativity. No. Yeah. You can't. It's, it's very unfortunate. There's things that you can do uh, to make you quit. Okay, this is, this is really the difference that you see with, say, people that are on British quiz shows. I swear to God what people on British quiz shows must do is sit there and think, all right, Let's break down wit. Wit has these elements in it. I'm just going to think of these, basically like learning a language. They're going to be sitting there and they're just going to be repeating a witty remark to something that comes in front of them until they're match ready and then they're on stage and then that's the, you know, practicing your backhand. That's what's happening there because that really is comedic tennis. That's what's happening when you're doing those kind of quiz shows if you are one of those comedians is kind of just going off of free consciousness, free consciousness, you, you cannot make that a discipline. That is the opposite of a discipline because the whole humor in that comes from just your brain entering surprising territories where everyone thinks, how did they come to that conclusion? In fact, the best way to do that is to ruin your life and to become a serious drug addict. That's going to help with that. So like it's, it's unfortunate poetic irony isn't it like the it's best poetic irony are often they they have all the characteristics that are just antithetical to success in any other field which is jordan peterson's point that there are very few successful creatives yes and the very ones few are have a massively disproportionate uh level of output yep that's realized and seen and you know what i i think that's why you see certain cultural groups succeed in fields such as business and any kind of professional, look, any field where you need to wear a suit, let's say that. You see a disproportionate amount of Indians, East Asians be extremely successful in fields that require a lot of discipline, a lot of sort of conscientiousness and just by the book, uh, committed behavior 
you don't see a lot of them in the yards. Now, no. I think if they were to go in the yards, they would have a massive advantage. But to reach that top echelon of the yards, yes, you do actually need to to actually you need to. It's it's a tough one, right? Because you can't really just like dispel with all your discipline and all these traits that you've developed over time. But you need to maybe coordinate that in a way that is conducive to creative output. And creative output is sometimes often different to physical output or business output or many no, other types is, of output. It is so the opposite. Tell you what, though. Girlfriend's the classic example of that because she went from a business job because she's Asian into acting. It does have transfer. It does have transfer. It definitely does, particularly to a certain level, yeah. To a certain level. And let's just put it this way. Okay, maybe you're not going to be a Russell Crowe, right, who I think from all accounts can just get drunk and fucking slog off hookers and snort cocaine and, and then jump in that like not only that that is seen as sort of it's 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 romanticized that kind of behavior within a, a high echelon circles yeah. of the arts it's yeah like, he's a free spirit or maybe not now with all the me too thing but that you know when you look at someone like yeah amy winehouse or the whole concept of the 27 club right these mm. are artists that passed away before their 27th birthday or mm. before their 28th birthday and it's revered as this elite club of artists when they were drug addicts. Yeah. No other field would that be celebrated characteristics. No. Christ, no. And no. I can't help but feel that actually taints their art to some degree. Like people are seeing their art through rose-coloured glasses because they embody the ideal traits of in the artist, the free spirit. And I'd actually question that, the trope of that free-spirited artist. Well, this is just romanticized, but I do remember listening to some... She was a very successful actor from yesteryear in Australia. Uh, I was talking to her after a show once, actually. Her name was Bunny. Anyone who's over the age of 60 would know her. And she was saying that she had met and worked with Russell Crowe in the past. And she was saying that he's just unparalleled. She's something that they say he has something called magic mind, which is they just say he is the character and is, I don't know, like he an autistic mathematician and he can switch it on like that. He just has that ability. There's a lot of on-screen charisma. I actually watched a few of his movies recently. Who I watched that already? LA Confidential. That was a really good one. He always he seemed to always plays those kind of like hardened, uh, hot-headed bad boys. That uh, mm, mm. mean well and have the right moral compass, but they just lose it and they have a temper. Oh yeah, yeah, he's great at that. But that's the whole thing, right? He's just Big got gruff voice, Russell Crowe. Absolutely, but I think that he can play anything. It's just he looks like that. Yeah, he's so he gets cast, yeah. he gets typecast. I mean, they all get typecast for sure. Yeah. Um. But I mean, yeah, beautiful mind. He wasn't that, but he played that well. I suppose that's the the actual true ability of an actor is if they don't look like the character that they're playing and you believe them anyway. That's how you know if you're a good actor. You know, elite from the other ones. Because other than that, it's kind of like you can get us to play us and people are going to go, wow, they did so well on screen. It's like because yeah. you're not doing anything. 
yeah. <laughs> just talking. Of course, yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, uh, how do you change someone's environment then? Like, you can't just t- t- say to someone, "Yeah, just ditch all your friends." And this is a long process that often isn't easy. I don't think you can. You get a lot of judgment from your friends as well. I think you just have to accept that a lot of people don't have that hunger. And that's fine. Not everyone's going to have it. And probably not everyone should have it either. Especially when there is one thing that I will agree with. There will be, as with everything else, a sort of 1% of people that, for whatever reason, have a very obsessive mind. And they're going to do well in life. But at the same time, when I look at my unsuccessful friends, as we're always saying... They're the ones that are enjoying life. That's true. They, no one that's successful happy. is happy. Well, there is, but again, like the, it's years and years of training. Happy. And yeah, yes, you exactly. Kind of like practice. You got to become successful at happiness. Yes, that's how yes, you do yeah, it. Yeah, yes, because that's how successful people become good at anything. They, yeah, they train themselves meticulously. The, happiness is not something that comes naturally to them. No, I've heard. Yeah, it was a meme, but it. Rings very true. Uh, the gifted and talented kids in high school, by the time they hit their mid and late 20s, they're either extraordinarily high-achieving, successful people that are very well put together and have a great social circle and are doing extra- extremely well in life, as you would have probably expected from them if you saw them in high school, or they're the complete antithesis to that. They're, they're burdened with overthinking and most likely anxiety and they've jumped from job to job and they haven't been able to commit to anything. And then they're, if anything, they're like an anxious wreck. Drug addict. No, not necessarily a drug addict. You don't think? I know not a lot of kids from selective schools that are druggos. I did. You know what it was? It was the white kids from the selective schools that end up being. Well, true actually. Yeah. <laughs> they see that as an out. Yeah. yeah it's not yeah, an option in Indian excuse, and Asian families. And that's where like, I, it's good to find a nuance between being able to rationally criticize the given economic system and using that as an excuse to not participate as well as you possibly can within that system. Mm. Mm. And you see that a lot. See that a lot in, you know, Marxist ideologues who are usually hyper intelligent people. They can rattle off all sorts of intellectual theories but you look at their life and it is a mess and you can't help but feel or you've adopted this ideology because it then gives you an out and you don't have to feel like a failure. It's really weird, isn't it? Because it's so obvious to anyone. Yeah. So obvious because you just look at them and they look disheveled. Yep. You just can't see it. And this is the problem about these other people when they're not motivated. It's a cliche, but... How do you tell a fish that it's in water? And that's a very hard thing to do. What do you mean? And by I s- can you, can you, huh? What do you mean by that? Well, it's just like your environment is your reality. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't get any realer than what you're sitting in. And so it's really hard to get someone out of it. And that's something that freaks me out all my life is knowing that you're kind of just trapped by your surroundings and just you know, things that are in your life. I mean, things that are in your mind. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think that there is a way out of it, but I think 
unless you're doing something like what you've suggested to the person, making mandatory military service. <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> and it's true. It's definitely true. When I was in South Korea, you can see the boys from the men and the men were always the ones that had already done their military service for two years. Yeah, They were yeah. just harder men. They were able to put up with a lot more. There was a lot of standing out in the rain on night shifts where you had to get up at 12 and then be there until 8 a.m. in the morning in, in freezing cold Korean winters, you know? Like, that toughens you. Yeah, well, they've still got a very low fertility rate, though. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, well. Yeah. Those microplastics. <laughs> <you can, laughs> no amount of military service going to compete with those microplastics, bro. We need little micro-soldiers. <laughs> Micro-bacteria soldiers take down the micro microplastics. It will get to that stage. Mark my words. <laughs> we'll have to employ nanobots at some point <laughs> well it's good to learn that if, if you're gonna have a rough time doing a lot of that and, and this is coming from someone who's never done anything like that i went straight from high school into being in this field and doing this so i've never actually had this kind of like crappy job that i hated that is sort of i just due to my social circumstances more than anything that compelled me to really uh y- y- look to success and look to bettering myself. So mm. it, that, and that is actually just luck. Yeah, true. Control, I didn't control that. True. It happened. If I was at a different even school where I was either so low on the totem pole that I had no self-esteem or confidence or I was really popular and like hooking up with someone at every party, then I probably wouldn't, wouldn't be here. It was just like that right little center well as we've said before you're kind of in an advantage when you are the class clown because you're sort of out of the totem pole of popularity you you're definitely not up you're definitely not down you can move in and out of those circles so you're not you're kind of a bit you don't in fact as well as a result of that you don't have an inflated ego and you don't have a diminished ego either yeah because you can't have a I mean, you've obviously got insecurities like every other human being does. You've obviously got things that you're deluded about and think that you're a lot better like every other human being does. But it's not the same as being the captain of the cricket team. And it's not the same as being the captain of the chess club. Right? You're out of it. So you're right. There is that to it. But I wouldn't be saying that that's exclusively because of luck. Like, there would be other people in your shoes that wouldn't have done that. No, it's not... It's definitely not exclusively because of luck, but it was luck that I just happened to be in, I think, what were conducive social circumstances to success. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty hard to argue otherwise, but it's also... it's 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 also just... It's really, it's really not an excuse. You had that as well. You weren't really partying or have enough I get it didn't seem like you were having a fun time in your late teenage years no but this was the other thing I brought that on myself and this is something that I'm always saying is my childhood I always see as a great gift and a curse because of that I think I had a miserable childhood which means that I can deal with being very miserable and lonely and I think that that is something that is going to help you a lot in being a success because part and parcel of being successful is a lot of alone time. You have to be alone for a long time, no matter what your field is. I wouldn't even count having a coach. I would count that as just 
that, that is a sort of lonely endeavor, really. If you are, I don't know, a, a champion swimmer and then you just have one person going like, beep, and then you go, and they go, beep, you're still alone a lot. Yeah, and there's nothing more solitary than swimming, man. You wake up at fucking four and you're just looking at that little black line mm. so that maybe you can make the Olympics, which happens once every four years because mm. swimming's not like, it's not like football where there's plenty of top grade spots for you to become successful. You're either an Olympic medalist or you're not a failure, but you you haven't succeeded. No. Even if you get silver. Anything, yeah. Swimming, it's like that you're either you're either getting that gold or you ha- you haven't done what you set out to do. No. And it's a brutal sport in oh, many ways. Yeah. yeah, I used to do squads for like a year and then I, and then well, if anything, I want to keep doing, but my mum was like, I'm not, I'm not getting up at five. Yes, yeah, which it. look fair enough. Fair enough. I was never going to be an Olympic swimmer. No, it's a waste of time. Little frame. So, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> I had other natural aptitudes. <laughs> but yeah, man, like I really think that these things are just. First off, I think that some people are naturally disinclined to be motivated. I think that if you are motivated, uh, you, you will naturally find things that are going to motivate you further. And I think the only way – and that that unmotivated person, you can theoretically make more motivated, but you have to take them out of their environment. You have to do that. And other than that, long what else can well. you do? Yeah, Because this is the other thing. They can be – this is the one thing that you can always do, right? You find the leverage – you find where they are dissatisfied in their life. And they're actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I take it back, you can find something that's going to be dissatisfied and that is going to be the fulcrum that's going to hoist them out of their environment. There's going to be something where they think, I don't have a girlfriend or I don't have a steady job or I'm fat. They're going to have something that's going to hurt and you can push them in the right direction using that. That's it. Well said. It's a good good uh, point to end on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Hope that was a good dose of motivation for you. <laughs> turn turn your phone off and do some push-ups. All right. Uh, go see Jordan live. Come see me and some great Australian comedians live, comedyuntamed.com and neilkohacker.com slash podcast if you want to uh, subscribe, send through a question and or topic. And we'll see you next time, guys. Thank you. Thank you.